This week on the Back Table Podcast. I don't think I've ever been led down the wrong path by just following the mission. I mean, to me, the most important thing is that I make an impact. There's been so much meaning to me in being able to open physicians' eyes to why they feel the way they feel, and that awareness gives authority, right? And working with people to get that mind shift to really actually feeling better and in more control, and that's the real gold nugget, right? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Backtable ENT Podcast, where we discuss all things ENT and more. We bring you the best and the brightest in our specialty and subspecialty, and sometimes those from other specialties. My name is Julie Wei. I'm so happy to guest host this episode. I'm a pediatric ENT who's taken a pause from clinical practice this year due to medical disability, and I've been passionate about physician well-being for over a decade. I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Dr. Gita Pensa, and we're going to discuss the topic of physician coaching with her. So as always, our goal for you is to take something from our show to your practice. Hi, Gita. Welcome to Backtable ENT. Hi, Julie. I'm so excited to be here with you. Yeah, me too. I'll be honest, I've been so excited and looking forward to this episode and sharing you with our audience. So maybe we start by just sharing with the listeners about your background, specialty, current affiliation, and your roles. Okay. Uh, I have a bunch of those. (laughs) (laughs) I, know uh, I think m- most pertinent to this uh, podcast, uh, I am a physician coach who helps physicians in the wake of adverse events and in malpractice litigation uh, to deal with malpractice litigation stress. I am an emergency medicine physician. I was, let's see, I've been doing that for over 20 years. Let's say I graduated from med school back in 1997. Oh, my gosh. So I've been doing that for a long time. I also am now I've sort of transitioning things around. I'm also working as a managing editor for it's a big CME company in emergency medicine called Emergency Medicine Reviews and Perspectives. Wow. And we just yeah, we just launched an urgent care uh, subscription podcast called UC Max. And I am the co-host and managing editor for that. So lots of hats. That's awesome. Do you still practice clinical emergency medicine? I mean, I don't see how you have time for that. But No, I cert- I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'm still in the ER part time. I, I Yes, I'm now also like faculty at Brown Health Services. And so there's like I said, there's a bunch of hats. But it's good Whoa. because one of the things that coaching brought to me was this clarity in terms of how I wish to spend my time and the ability really to move forward with changes I've been contemplating for a long time. And one of the things that was hardest for me for emergency medicine was working nights. And there wasn't really a way for me in my current group to easily stop doing that. Right. Um, Or even the late shifts that end at one and three. And they were really just taking a toll. Like a few years ago, I started having, you know, you get a little older, sometimes sleep doesn't you know, adjustment doesn't come as easily as it used to. And so I wound up cobbling together jobs that soon I got to cut back to part time and mostly per diem. So I work the hours that I want to work and I still get to do all this other cool stuff. And it's made room for really interesting, even fun, I might dare say, new avenues for my career. And so it's been it's been great. 
Well, first of all, the reason we are so glad you came on the show, and when I got to know you, thank goodness for the introduction by Aaron Fritz, I just, you know, meeting you, talking to you, I'm positive many of our listeners will benefit from this great conversation because I bet we're not the only ones, right, who's gone through it or have been thinking about it. I think what last week, the reported burnout is now 67% or 64 I, you know, maybe in a couple of years, what, 120 percent? I don't know. It's not easy. So congratulations on still having fun and fearlessly pursuing other pursuits. Thank you. Now, I have to admit, I feel a little intimidated today having you as a guest because you oh, no. created your own podcast years ago. Right. <laughs> Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Oh, sure. Um, so let's see. How do I tell the story best? The way I found my way into coaching physicians with litigation stress is after having gone through a very long lawsuit myself. Mm -hmm. um, it lasted 12 years uh, and two lengthy jury trials. Sorry, did you say 12 years? I did. Oh. It was 12 years long. Yeah. Wow. I saw a patient in 2006 and then I was soon, very soon after in 2007. My first trial was 2011. There was an appeal. It went through all the layers of the courts in 2015. My verdict was overturned. I went back to trial a second time in 2018. Oh, my. Yeah. And so and it's easy for me to sort of say that as one long sentence, like, oh, these are the things that happened. Yeah, right. Except the impact on my life, my psyche, my persona, my family is like incalculable. Is that a word? Yeah, I think so. It, That's the right it word, It is. Right? And actually, yeah, we're definitely, we're definitely going to explore that in depth, right? About how, because, oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I too have been through litigation, nothing like that. But you mm. are right. It profoundly changes us and our lives on every level. So we'll definitely save, yeah, that part. So in the realization of that, you know, I went through, I went through a lot of things. So we can come back and talk about that. But towards the tail end of litigation, as I was, you know, two or three years before the second trial, after my trial, my original verdict had been overturned, I had an epiphany about the degree of distress that this had been just wreaking havoc on my life. And I finally hit, you know, a real rock bottom. And I decided that I had to do something. I had to change something. And it started with very small incremental change mostly realizing that, oh, I have a problem. And there's the problem is largely of my own making. Like, I know this litigation thing is happening, but I do not know how to think about this. I don't know how to feel about this. And I'm completely unwilling to accept any help from anybody. And so changing these forces of habit that have been just really holding me down for so long was just this really pivotal thing that happened in my life. And then there were a lot of career changes. And eventually that led me to an academic group at Brown where I learned how I became the educational technology person there, which is sort of weird, but it's only because really? yeah, I needed a niche. <laughs> One of my changes was like, all right, I'm going to learn to love medicine again or I'm going to leave it. But somehow that decision is going to be made. And so I ascribed to this theory of like, don't leave it till you love it. In other words, how do I maximize the happiness where I am and then decide once it's the best it can be, whether I leave or if I stay? And so part of that was like, let me see if I like teaching. I'm going to add teaching into the mix. And so I approached the residency program at Brown about working there. And well, it was a time of a big merger. So it was actually a really convenient time. But I wanted to come back to academics and teach. And they offered me this. They're like, well, we need someone with this skill set. So I was like, all right, I'll learn. So I became like the blogging, podcasting, social media person 
in the emergency medicine residency at Brown. And I learned how to podcast. I became a research podcaster for an emergency medicine journal. I still do that. It's another hat. Wow. I'm a podcaster for academic emergency medicine. It was when all these things came together, I had been feeling a lot more like confident. And I really had learned a lot about litigation and coaching. I'd been to therapy. I'd been coached. I just had this brand new outlook. And I also knew that nobody was talking about this. It just occurred to me one day that I had this skill set of being able to do podcasting and remote interviewing because I learned that doing the journal thing. And I right, right. learned all this stuff about litigation and I'd forged this path through it. And I was happier than I'd ever been because the side effect of changing your mindset about things has carryover into everything. It like, made me happier in my job. It made me happier in my family. It just made things so much better. And so then I thought, you know what? I wonder if I could make the thing that I wished I had when I started and knew nothing and no one who could help me with this. And so this is the very long-winded answer to your question. (laughs) Tell me about your podcast. (laughs) Um, So I wound up creating this. It has not been until I'm laying plans right now for more, but it has not really been an ongoing podcast, like an episode Mm -hmm. a week kind Mm -hmm. of thing. It's really this sort of self-contained curriculum. Sure. Well, you're focused on a very specific niche, right, of the experience of litigation, the information and details and training that none of us have ever had. Exactly. And so what I did was, you know, I made it so that you could start at episode one and just listen your way through 11 episodes. And by the time you were done, you would have a really good idea of what all of this was. And I did a lot of interviewing of other physicians and their stories and attorneys, psychologists. And so I tried to make it into this sort of comprehensive thing that you could sort of listen to. And, you know, I've, I've heard from a lot of people that they found it very helpful. Of course, I've been directing people to you, to your services <laughs> and to your podcast for two reasons. One is, first of all, right, everybody's busy. Two, the fact that you went to hit rock bottom and yet found a way forward by helping other people. This is what's inspirational. And frankly, you're right, right? All that expertise, this is a different kind of podcast. You don't need 200 episodes when the core, I suspect, the foundational recommendations, what to look for, how to help yourself, key things to know. I mean, those things are going to be right? Fairly applicable, regardless of state and maybe different situation across specialties. I have to disclose, excellent. We're going on, we're taking a little vacation next week before Christmas. I'm going to listen to all 11 episodes um, (laughs) and and wish that I had when I was going through my own litigation, horrific, traumatic experience between 2014 and 16. Well, I will be eager to hear what you think. Yeah. So before we go to the coaching part, since we brought it up earlier, let's just go there now. We'll just share a little bit. I suspect most of the audience hopefully have not ever experienced litigation um, Mm -hmm. and none of the positives right, associated Mm -hmm. with that. But for those who have, but more importantly, perhaps for those who may, because it's out of our control, right? How did it, let's talk just briefly about how it eroded our well-being and impacted us at work and at home. And you can't, it's very hard to explain to other people how you still go to work, perform surgeries, you know, take care of patients, you know, lead your team and all those things Mm -hmm. that we do. And the whole time you feel like you can't breathe. And this is 
on your mind day and night, 24-7, all-consuming, right? Yeah. Am I right? I think Oh, we- you are a thousand percent, <laughs> a thousand percent right. And, uh, and I know you know a lot about burnout. There are a lot of parallels. And what litigation stress tends to do is just you've got that cup of burnout and just adds a whole big glug into it, and then it just spills over. And so, you know, it's not unusual for people not to be able to keep their stuff together at work. And, you know, there Mm -hmm. are absolutely physicians who cannot continue to maintain that facade. It just becomes too great a burden. I don't know if I was perfect at that either. It was just such a long time. And there was certainly people at work who were worried about me um, Mm -hmm. at times that knew, you know, that knew that I was going through something pretty intense. And so, you know, my case was, you know, it really was this perfect storm of just naivete on my part and, you know, really frank ignorance about the legal system mm-hmm. and a case that involved very high damages in a young person. Um, and so the demand that they were initially asking for was $28 million and I was the sole doc involved. $28 million. $28 million. Wow. And so if you don't think that, you know, as a young attending, I was five years out, you know, the first thing they tell you when you show up is don't talk to anybody. That's right. Except your attorney. Yeah. Or your insurer. And so I didn't. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I married to a physician and there were some spousal exceptions. And so I would try to talk to him. But even that just felt like I really should be able to be holding my stuff together. And I wasn't. And I was ashamed of that. I didn't understand why I could handle all these other things and I couldn't do this. It was horrible. And it went on for so long, right? Week after week, month after month, year after year. And you're just waiting for, you know, their settlement stuff that goes on doesn't work out. And you're just panicked at the thought of going to trial and then losing. And then you're going to be in the paper. And then where the hell are you going to get $28 million from? It was horrific. So I just I just talked about the impact. I think you can talk about the impact on you. Oh, yes. The well, I was blindsided when you get that letter and it's from your last job and it's been over 10 years, right? Your your first is like, who, what, when, what, why? Yeah. So without belaboring it, well, I can resonate with all that, right? You're told you can't talk to anyone, the shame. And then first is the fear is mm-hmm. what damage did I do to someone, especially if it's a child? Mm-hmm. And then outrage, right? Mine was suing for learning disability after that tiny 1.2 millimeter lumen tympanostomy tube extruded. And there's a hole that didn't close, which subsequently, you know, that tympanoplasty closed perfect hearing. It's fear. Mm -hmm. And then it's what's going on. And then by the time, thankfully, I was uh, attending in Kansas. So that's a state where, you know, the physicians are protected. There's been some tort reform. I had representation that um, work with me, but just even trying to get the right expert to support you. So all the logistics aside, it was just walking around all day because, you know, obviously as physicians and surgeons, we take care of the patient, we take care of whatever's needed now, tomorrow, as soon as possible, and then it's over. This is something it's just you can't fix and you can't solve and you can't do anything and you just have to endure it with complete uncertainty to the outcome, right? And so it doesn't matter. I mean, your spouse, like you said, you can talk to whoever. And then how ironic now I've created permission, emphasize counseling, but when you're going through this, 
I didn't seek out a counselor. I didn't talk to anybody. And so a lot of negative, right, inner narrative, loss of sleep. I mean, yeah, yeah, you're right. People around you can notice they're worried about you. And even then, you're kind of in this, I don't know how to say it, right? Maybe it's like when you're in depression, you can't see yourself in a way that others see you. You can fake your way through absolute competency, deliver pretty terrific care. And I think that's pretty much the reality of physicians, right, today, is you can do your job, be completely broken in every way. And people sometimes can't tell because you do a pretty good job and show up and do your duties. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so when you're trying to hold that together, you know, on a home front, I had three kids. I was pregnant with my third kid when I saw this patient. And she was in middle school by the time it all wrapped up. You know, and all that time, my kids were growing up and I was trying to just show up at work and put one foot in front of the other. And but the the misery is real. And there a lot of it honestly was unnecessary. And that's really what I've learned in the aftermath. I mean, obviously, this is going to be stressful. It does not have to exact the toll that it historically has. I completely agree. <laughs> right. And that's that's where that's how I came into coaching was understanding like this does not need to be this way. Like this really could be a lot different if we talked about a bunch of different things have to change. Right. But there are all things that we can exert an effect on. If you haven't read the book, The Upside of Stress by Kelly McGonigal. OK, I highly recommend it. Awesome. And in it, she really she makes this point about how stress tends to be harmful when there are three criteria. One is that it isolates you from other people. Two is that you feel inadequate to it. And three is that it feels utterly meaningless or against your will. On a grand cultural level in medicine, at least two out of three of those things we can change in medicine mm-hmm. just in terms of how we educate our learners and talk to them about litigation in general, right? The whole isolation thing is crud, yep. right? We have accepted this don't talk about it business, right? Which we should not because we are absolutely capable of discerning the difference between talking about our feelings about this case, factually what's happening in a case versus the details of our case that, you know, your lawyer wants those things buttoned up and you're capable of doing that. But as long as you can say at deposition, I have not discussed the details of this case with anyone but my attorney, like, you're good. You can talk. Right, right. Well, you make a great point. I mean, just listening to what you just said, it triggers in me, how is this different than women speaking up, right, about violence, about aggression about violation, right? It's the shame, the internalization, and just by having, you know, what we all know now, the the power of peer support, mm-hmm. right? Look at Physician Mom Group, 130,000 women on Facebook, right? No one's ever alone again. But it is extremely powerful, right? Complete utter strangers who can understand or can express empathy and be constructive. So look, bottom line is, I admire you. You just kept going one foot in front of the other, raised three beautiful children, you know, managed to hold your family together and be there for them and then create new path for yourself. And look what you've done with that horrific experience of 12 years. Now you're helping others, you know, professionally. Want to add one caveat because you mentioned Facebook and I just said like, oh, you can absolutely talk about it. You can talk about it, but you got to be smart. (laughs) Don't, 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 Don't talk about it on Facebook. Facebook's not the forum. 
Facebook's not the far, not for your case. I mean, absolutely talking about like it in generalities and how sure. difficult it is. And I mean, I still want you to be smart. And that's one of the things that I help people with is navigating that. There is no other scenario that I can think of in which you absolutely traumatize an individual, which is what happens when in a significant case of litigation, especially one with a bad outcome. Right. It is actually a traumatic experience for the physician. It in no way discounts the suffering of the plaintiff should there actually be true suffering. There, both things can exist, right? Absolutely. The physician absolutely suffers and in the current construct that we have is often traumatized. Absolutely. And there is no other setting in which we tell that traumatized person that like the official party line is do not talk about this. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that for the listeners. So let's come back to the coaching. We're going to talk about you have launched your coaching business. I just recently launched, and I have to admit, with bravery, I have zero clients right now. Hey, that's where everybody starts. That's right. (laughs) Quick question. Did you start the podcast first and then launch the coaching business or the other way around? The other way around. So the the podcast was this manifestation of this just desire to do something that would help physicians that would be sort of a passion project that would just make it so that those 12 years of my life weren't a complete and utter waste. Yes. That's your motivation. That's your purpose. Yes. I didn't know if anybody would listen to it. And also was sort of a creative flex for me because I did all the editing. Yeah, that's awesome. I did all the interviewing. I did literally every single thing on it. I didn't have fun wow. from anybody. I did all the I did all of that just in my it was and and now when I listen to it, I'm just like, oh, like that could have been better in this part. Whatever. I'm like critical, but stop. But I spent a lot of time on it and it turned out to be, you know, I didn't care. Not I didn't care. I wanted people to listen to it, but I also didn't like heavily, I didn't publicize it or anything. I didn't monetize it. I didn't do anything. I literally just put this thing out into the world and said, I hope this helps people. And if you listen to it, I think you're going to learn something because I've learned an awful lot and I'm really hoping I can share it with people. And what happened was it got passed around a lot. And so and people started getting in touch with me. And the first thing that happened is they would ask me to come speak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I started doing that. So I started doing a lot of grand rounds and a lot of lectures and a lot of all that sort of stuff. And I'll, mind you, I'm doing all this, you know, at, we're talking about coaching. So we're going to talk about money a little bit. And right. I think we can talk about more money more than we more than we ought to talk about, you know, more, more than we like to talk about money. But like money comes into this. Right. So I was doing a lot of work for free and it felt good, except that the demands kept coming and coming and coming and coming. And so then I started coaching people for free. Yikes. Well, I mean, well, people yeah. kind of accept it. I mean, expect it. I have to be honest. We'll, well talk about that. Well, they're in distress, right? They so are. people reach out to you and they're like, can I please talk? What am I going to say? No. I so, know exactly I, how you feel. It's all the time, right? Can I right. can I run something by you? Um, can you be my mentor? Could I meet with you? Could yeah. I call you? And yeah. it's yes, 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 except I'm on disability, right? I I'm not working this year. Yeah. Right. So that's that's a whole topic in itself. I feel like it's not that they're trying to disrespect you, but everybody just doesn't they just reach out for you know, they want your time, your energy, your expertise for free. Well, then I had a little bit of a wake-up call. What was that? Well, there were two. One was that I found out an insurance company that I worked for, or that I'd given a talk for, and who knows what I'd signed, like, in the beginning. But then I found out from another person who approached me to be a client to work with me, like, oh, I heard your thing. 
from an insurer in this in X state. And I was like, I've never worked with an insurer in X state. And they were like, oh, well, this is the insurance company. I was like, well, do they do they have an alliance with this insurance company? And they were like, oh, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of our things are, you know, so they were using my stuff. And I you didn't have your IP protected. You didn't talk to my husband, the IP no. attorney. OK, whoops. Oh, I'm going to have to talk to him. But anyway, so they were using my stuff and I felt, I mean, I was okay with people using the podcast. That was out there. And I actually found out in these wonderful ways that people were using it in the way in which it was intended. Like I had a student from someone who was taking a graduate course in a master's in healthcare leadership program reached out to me saying like, hey, your podcast was assigned in my class. That's awesome. I just wanted to tell you like what I think of it. And that was amazing, right? Right. Then... It turned out that I was I was spending a lot of time in the meantime, like I'd been learning about coaching, going to coaching conferences and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. trying to utilize more and more of that being coached. I was being coached. Right. Mm-hmm. And my coach was like, Mm-mm. <laughs> stop giving it away for free. <laughs> um, and that was very interesting. And so she really made me understand I have something that's of significant value and the expertise that I've cultivated, the lived experience that I have um, and that. I should change the way I think about it. Um, and that was that was pretty instrumental. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned you did have a coach, right? I have had mm-hmm. executive coach. And then this summer, when I knew I wanted to shift and give coaching a try, I have to admit what last week someone said to me, yep, you throw a rock and you hit a physician coach. I mean, it's kind of funny and it's not, right? Because there's so many physicians leaving practice of medicine and everybody's a coach, it seems like. So this summer, I invested in a career coach and really took a good four or five months to create a business plan, be so detailed about what is it I'm going to be coaching about, what is my model, what is my differentiator. Tell me, Julie, what is what are you going to be doing? I'm actually very Ooh, curious. You know, I feel a little scared. I'm saying it out loud to the universe, right? Because I might actually get a client, maybe. Hey. Okay, so <laughs> I won't give it all away because I actually have a literary agent. I have a book prospectus. Nice. So 2023, I'm hoping that that will be of massive value to physicians everywhere. For me, I really have used my life for the last 20 years where I feel there's been a gap, right? So just like, litigation, you know, something we were never taught to think about. And in all this work about well-being, we all know yoga, meditation, none of that self-care. It's not not even the appropriate response to the system-based healthcare stressors that's causing all this, right? So my coaching, honestly, uh, the differentiators, I have really spent time focused on where and how and who can I as a coach help any physician or trainee achieve, I call it the four Ps, personal, professional, psychological protection. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you some example, right? I just got an email, someone asking me to please, can they talk to me again? They already talked to me last month. It's about how to navigate disability. Mm-hmm. Right. And so something we don't have formal training on. Right. So three days from now, our podcast guest is Dr. Stephanie Pearson. Right. Who is a physician who endured disability, trauma. Right. Like you, like me, who then self grew that expertise. And now her professional identity, instead of being whatever specialty she trained in, now it's really about helping physicians achieve protection. So I can go on and on, but we won't do that. So and then I, I just thought about it's not necessarily just it can be like in your case, a really unique niche 
for me, it's it's a lot of stuff. It's it's um, work life integration, career development, national visibility, whatever you whatever the individual wants. What I can speak to then is leveraging all my experiences, all my insights that you're just not going to find in a textbook chapter. So that's kind of what I'm going for. So yeah, wish me luck. So did you have a a business plan, like a coach who helped you do all that? Or it sounds like you just did it all yourself. I have a lot to learn. So a lot has just sort of have not. Okay. I was just like, a lot of things just happened, but that's not really no, true, is I it? I think you made it happen. <laughs> so, um, But unintentionally, I sort of walked in this direction. So the first thing was, and it really was without an eye to making a career out of this or doing anything. It was really just making something that I thought would be of value. Yeah. And then the more people that were interacting with that, I mean, Mm -hmm. the last numbers I saw was like, you know, it was I was on my like 70,000th download of the series and so wow yeah congratulations so thank you. that's then now my, my dad is just like why didn't you monetize it i'm like that's <laughs> right <laughs> it's not too late go back and monetize it go back it's, and monetize it. i mean that's that was my that was sort of to me always will just be like that was my a little bit of a gift right that was it that was i made i made something that i wanted somebody like you know me 15 years earlier right if they'd had that i think it could have been a very different experience for me right 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 so selfishly as i just shared right i'm hoping for a client do you recall your first few clients and i was curious what were their greatest concerns when it came to being coached by you and like what was going on with them? Is it moral distress, anger, disbelief? Are they lost? You, you know, I just wondered if you recall your early oh, clients. Of course I do. I, I know every single one. Um, and Anonymous, of course, just generality. Actually, that's one of the things like I don't because of the nature of what I do. I don't take notes. Mm-hmm. We actually talk very little about the actual case. If they have an ongoing case, we talk very, very little about what's happening in the case because... For their protection, for my protection, like I steer the conversation so that I just know the things that I need to know. It's not therapy where it's not like, you know, it's we're not like dissecting every little thing about what happened, but we are going into the thoughts and the feelings that impact our actions and how we react to the litigation that's in front of us. So, yeah. Okay, so there is paid and unpaid. Okay, so I I migrated into the paid like not long ago, but um. Mm -hmm. Oh, and interestingly, one of my unpaid conversations, one of the things that made me realize like, oh, I really should start charging for this is that that person then went on to hang a shingle out as. (gasps) No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I know we laugh about it, but really that's. Thank God. Anyway, this is the reality of. Yeah. Hmm. Um, So that was interesting. But so, no, I think the very, very first. And there is, like I said, a sort of slide into, you know, I cut my teeth on a lot of unpaid work, which I think is fair, right? I wasn't accepting money for it, but it was really informative and instructive to me to try to learn to apply coaching principles for free, but to really like hone my craft, right? Well, that's just it. We've been really, some of us, right? Maybe not everyone enjoys that, right? Um, Have really spent I, I find that it's it's just expected. We use the word mentor all day long, right? And coming through training, fellowship, your career, those who take an academic job or not, we're constantly mentoring others. You know, sometimes I, I mean, lately, I when it's appropriate, I really 
bring that up to the surface, the difference between mentorship and coaching. Yes. Right? Because otherwise, why should I pay for it? I have a whole bunch of mentors or could you connect me with the best mentors and I don't need to pay you, you know? So, yeah. Well, it's interesting that you say that because there is, sir, there is this sort of um, didactic difference, right, between coaching and mentoring and advising Mm -hmm. and all this Mm -hmm. stuff, right? The value that I bring is, so, okay, so you practice and coaching principles and the truth of a coach, like a good coach, they say, does not need to have the lived experience of the person that they're coaching, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a true coach, they say, you know, it's in the asking of the questions and to helping you help the client really guide, pull out what it is that they want. You give them clarity on their goals. You give them clarity on how to achieve them. You leverage their own strengths, right? So the, a good coach, as they say, does not necessarily need to have the lived experience. Now, the mentor is someone who does, right? That's someone who has the lived experience who can show you the possibilities of how you might come out on the other side and they they really open your mind to what might be possible for you. So somewhere in there for in terms of what I do is the sweet spot. And so I'll say sometimes like, okay, like this is like teaching slash mentoring, you know, because they come to me and they don't know the first thing about litigation. Of course. They don't understand how to be in a deposition. They don't understand how to perform in a trial. They don't understand what this whole crazy tsunami of emotions, they can't even pick out one and name it. They do not know what is happening to them. And there's a reason for that. And we actually get into that. But so what I do is, you know, it's and it's been with these clients that I had in the first couple of years where I was trying to figure out that balancing act like how do you coach how do you how do you instruct how do you when do you pull out all these tools so anyway back to your question the first one that i had was actually very interesting um it was a person who had a board of licensure complaint and that was really tricky because that wasn't an experience that i had but the emotions are all very similar when you're under investigation mm-hmm that was actually a learning process for me, too. But the support of that person going through it, that was in understanding the complexity of the emotions and then helping them sort of discern, you know, what their thoughts are about this process, how it influences their feelings, what might we change, how do we support, you know, how do we support them, who can they rely? It's just a lot of, right, a lot of stuff. A couple of things you said that definitely rings true for me in my, you know, (laughs) planned coaching that's supposed to really help people, right? So one is you mentioned Mm -hmm. the word tools. Here's the thing, right? I mean, you can choose your mentor. Sometimes you jive. A lot of times for us, I find in our mentors are people who do exactly what we do. They're in the same self-specialty, in the same field. Some of them may be who trained you. There's nothing wrong with that. What I'm talking about are just, okay, I see these gaps professionally, right? Look, imagine not having had an old own occupation disability insurance, right? That's why we're doing an episode on that. Where would I be today? No idea how to navigate leave of absence. No idea what that means, who to call when. Those are the emotional logistics that I've had to struggle to find the answers to. And even if they're not exactly the same at every institution, ah, right? When you have those aha moments, which is, Oh my gosh, had that been a one page, single bulleted points, had I just done A, B, and C, it would have saved me days, months, years, mm-hmm. emotional toll. Of course. That is what is 
making the burnout just right. And there's so much value in that. There's yes. so much value in that. And so I hope everybody, so. yes, everybody who I needs so. Julie, sign up uh, to your client. <laughs> well, everybody who needs Gita, like, oh my God, what a reflection on society, right? Oh, uh, right. But you, I respect what you said. True harm does happen. Even when we do everything right, somebody could get hurt. That's a huge part of it. They deserve compensation. Right. Oh, well, I was going to say, actually, I was coming at it from a different angle. The the physician themselves, because, you know, as you touched on, not only is litigation itself this stressor that's just this really outsized stressor that we have not been taught how to handle in any way, shape or form, but you also have to contend with um, the suffering of the plaintiff or your patient or the loss of that physician-patient relationship or the grief and anger of their family. Or, you know, um, one of my other early clients was someone who had an adverse event. And the hardest thing for them, they, it's interesting, they called me very early. They had already listened to the podcast as a young resident and in their first year out had an adverse event and called me like right away and was just like, I'm going to need help dealing with this. I've already heard your podcast. Will you work with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. That's fantastic, right? But as this person was going through seeing the family afterwards, the lawsuit was set in motion, sort of being with this person in real time as these events unfolded and just being with someone while that grief is just and confusion and you know, so much of it, like, of course, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll never forget any of it. But, you know, it is in some ways it was a privilege to guide them. It is. You went through a critical part of the journey and, and suffered alongside and helped them. Right. The way I see it or hope the opportunity for me as a physician coach who, by the way, I've rarely found any who are surgeons. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. most of many of them are in primary care. I will say there the attrition there is far faster probably than mm. in surgery. I don't have the statistics. What I do know is this. There are actionable things we can do today before anything bad happens to you that will protect you professionally, number one. Number two, as I reflect, and lately that's all I think about is psychological safety. In the latest study that came out by the advisory board, they cited a JAMA Health Forum article. So it used to be EHR, what, right, was factor number one or number two that causes physician burnout. This latest survey of over 20,000 physicians, number one is high stress. Well, the problem is how do you quantify that? It's a human experience. So I see coaching as this is your person, right? If you're an athlete, everyone looks to that. The coach, the coaches, you know, not just tells you how to execute and score the points, They're like a father figure or a parent figure, someone, right? I think having a coach, somebody, that's just, that person is all about you, not the system, not the patient, nobody else. And so I I can see the value of having that. It's nice as the coach, you know, you're not bound in the way, you know, a therapist is or what. I mean, like you, I care about, you know, I'm like friendly with a lot of the people that I work with. And it's funny, one of my clients called me her litigation doula. A litigation doula. And I, I laughed at that. And then I I actually, so then I thought about that. I was like, is that the word I really want? I don't know. And then I decided that the word I like better is Sherpa. Sherpa. Okay. Yeah. Because it's someone who helps you carry that heavy stuff up a really steep climb 
but they've been there before. Yes. But I mean, you get to execute it. It's your climb. It's your mountain. I agree. I am there to help you out on the way. You know what? That's really beautiful. And by the way, you also have a raincoat, a bag of food. You've got the <laughs> the flashlight and you've got the, the heater. So and the oxygen, I, baby. <laughs> I, yeah, the oxygen is big. I am curious. Tell me about in your client distribution, is there a sex difference? I used to say gender difference, but my 16-year-old explained to me the difference between sex and gender. I am so glad you asked me this because I literally just did an accounting of this. And I was like, oh, when I start. So, by the way, so spoiler alert, I really do plan on like resurrecting the podcast as like a season two kind of thing. But in a less heavily produced, like more like single topic short. So I'm sure. I'm laying the groundwork for that. But I think that's going to be really fun and really interesting. But one of the things I did at the end of the year, I did an accounting, right? Right. This is our retrospective summary. By the way, we need to publish this. So I'm the co-author. <laughs> so no IRB approval. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, this is really interesting because Tell me. women reach out to me at probably twice the rate that men do to mm. ask about coaching. Okay. But I have more men than women clients. Why do you think that is? Well, I spent a lot of time thinking about that while I was on my little bike the other day, actually. And I don't know, but I'm wondering, I am very curious about this. I'm wondering if it's because, how do I say this without offending anybody? It's hard. I'm wondering if women are conditioned more to feel like it's not worth the money to invest in themselves to help themselves with a burden they feel like they should be able to carry because we are just so used to carrying so much without complaint. I think you're on to something. I think so. Now, I obviously had no idea somebody like you existed or coaching was available, right, when I was going through my litigation experience. But let me repeat back to you what you said, I think, rings true and can be powerful and something we want to change, right, in our listeners, that women may not think they're worth investing or the investment, the additional resources, or perhaps the shame is, I don't know, internalized to a greater degree. I mean, everything that we've been raised. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, right. We're not quite good enough. Because they'll reach out and say, I'm having trouble with this. I would like to work with you. I would like to learn more. And then what happens? They never call back? I mean, some do. I mean, I have women clients. But, but in terms of like the people that ping me, that reach out through the website, that find me after the podcast, that like there are more women than men that do. I mean, you'll, this is one thing you'll find, Julie, as you do more and more of this, that there's a lot more people that reach out to you than actually decide they're going to make the commitment. Agreed. I understand. I expect they're exploratory. They want to yes. understand what do you charge? What exactly happens? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I understand that. Uh huh. It's funny. Like, I think the barrier, this is complete supposition on my part, but I wonder if the barrier for the men is reaching out in the first place and asking for the help. And then when they say, like, you know what, I really think after I talk to you, like, I really think that you're going to be able to help me. Um, absolutely, it's worth the money. I'm going to flip it. So what's interesting is if we assume there's still more male physicians than women, I don't know the statistics and percentage, right, of practicing U.S. physicians who... It's evening up, I think. Yeah. So if if we say, well, there are more male physicians, then even by X percentage that undergo litigation, is it chances are there are more men, right? Male physicians that get sued. But I want to ask you what you think. 
why are most physician coaches female? I do know some. I knew I've met a few. There are a few. Few male coaches, physician yeah, coaches. Yeah, I, I mean, there's definitely more women for sure. Yeah. So I'm curious your thoughts on that, because I've been asking myself the same, right? Tough to differentiate. I don't know. I don't know whether, you know, traditionally women are more conditioned to be able to talk about thoughts and feelings and all that, you know, what we sort of, you know, pawn off as like touchy feely stuff Mm -hmm, uh, when mm -hmm. it really is sort of the stuff of life and relationships and everything that's good. And frankly, professionally, this is how, right, the worst, most devastating thing is to be narrated as being too emotional, right? But we won't. That's a whole podcast in itself. Isn't that funny, though? But when they study outcomes, right? right? Outcomes of women physicians versus male physicians, like it turns out women take more time talking to their patients and maybe their outcomes are better because of it, right? Well, the patients certainly are more satisfied, right? That, all of that. All of that. That's evidence-based for sure. But, you know, all of these things, I feel like, you know, there's always a good time to be alive. One of the great things about being alive today is that I feel like all those things are changing. All of those old gender stereotypes are changing. I think that there are plenty of men out there who are, like, dying to talk about their feelings, as, as I have met. They are dying to talk about their feelings. Because they haven't in a long, long time. We create the permission, right? It's wonderful. It's a it wonderful, wonderful thing because they start to realize how much of this weight that they're carrying around with them, how much it bleeds into everything else. They want to know why, why is your marriage failing? OK, let's talk about that. Why are you so unhappy at work? Hmm. Right. Like, let's talk about that. Why doesn't your son want to call you and talk to you? you know, everything revolves around how we show up in our lives, in our relationships, at our work, what, where the meaning is, like, that's the root of everything, right? And if you cut yourself off from the ability to feel those things and express those things, then you're going to suffer. All the work on well-being, the ACGME well-being programs, you know, a lot of it focus on mental health and mm -hmm. creating a culture and permission um, and partnering with psychologists, right? Mm -hmm. And it is it is that to hear a psychologist just say, yep, especially for physicians, the only way to survive is to dissociate yourself from your feelings and emotions and suppress the crap out of it and then some. Because really, otherwise you can't see the whatever many patients and sign the charts and you're late and you, right? So the only way to do it, because that stuff takes time. You actually have to stop what you're doing and feel the emotion. So well, I, I really, wow, how awesome to know that you're a coach. Doesn't matter what your sex is, your gender is, if you're... Nope, all comers. You got all comers. I do want to ask two other questions. You, being a physician coach to fellow physicians, how do their attorneys react to the idea that they have a coach? So that's super interesting. Everyone that I coach who's in active litigation, I ask them to share that with their attorney. And I've had a couple of attorneys reach out to me because they're like, what the hell is going on here? Because they're not into this whole you're allowed to talk to somebody. Do they understand what you're doing? I, know, I mean, a lot of them don't. A lot of them. So, so it's very interesting because they put there is pushback right now. These are the same people who push back on the physician seeing a therapist or seeing a peer supporter or whatever. Now, there are smart ways of doing everything. And so I actually understand. I totally honor the attorney's concerns. Right. About that. The Best case scenario is when the attorney takes me on as part of the team, right? And then then things are completely privileged. But navigating that just as, you know, what I what I usually tell my clients to 
explain to their attorneys and their insurers is that I am not working with them as like a witness coach or a witness prep or anything. There is a lovely spillover effect into the fact that they become a better defendant when they understand more about the process and how to show up in it, how to build themselves up so they can show up the way they want to and manage their emotional distress in their life. That's all great. But being able to articulate that to the attorney, just saying like, we don't talk about the case. We don't talk about the case. This is literally just an online wellness. You know, I frame it as a wellness journey. Like I'm literally working with a well-being coach who specializes in helping physicians during adverse events and litigation. But this is not in any way, shape or form to direct my performance in this case. This is just for my well-being. And that is the absolute God's honest truth. As you're sharing that, I just had a moment, right, recognizing there are physicians, colleagues among us who have taken their own lives. Very high risk time. So, you know what? It's interesting you brought this up. So I just did on Friday, this last Friday, I did a keynote speech for I was the keynote speaker for a relatively large insurance company's annual legal conference. Part of my mission, like I like working, I really love working with individual physicians, but I also really like working with insurance companies and attorney groups because they want to support their defendants, but they do not understand at all. Oh, not at all. That's mean. That's 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 too excessive. They understand a little bit when they've been doing it long enough. They kind of get like, mm, this is hard on the dock. But they don't really understand sort of the origins and, you know, why it is the way it is and how they can help them and how important it is for them to have someone that they can confide in and and someone that they can help them with. And so it's meaningful work to me, too, to work with those insurance companies because we're all we are on the same team. We're all supposed to be on the same team. Right. And so figuring out avenues by which they can really support the defendant doc to like buffer up stuff, to, you know, buffer up their resources to to pay for coaching and for to pay for support for them to pour money into supporting these docs is really only going to support their mission in the end. Well, I'm so glad that you have found the audience and they have found you, right? Because talk about making impact. I have a similar experience. I'm, I'm so excited. I'm almost done graduating from my master's in medical management nice. at Carnegie Mellon. And through that, I met um, attorneys, right? They're my professors, um, that a large firm that deal with medical staff. And what's interesting is when I brought up my right self-taught, learned, gained expertise and well-being, right, and burnout, you know what they shared with me? They said, you know, we certainly hear about that a lot, all the time. Every client, every medical staff, right, anything in healthcare, we hear all the time, but our content or response in anything related to well-being or on that topic is like 30 seconds. That's not our area of expertise. So actually, I'm so glad you brought that up. I thrive and hope and pray for large audiences like that. You know, we're thinking about a combined webinar, right? Because how we're going to reach more people is not just talking to our physician colleagues, right? It's having that awareness and appreciations for impact. Because physicians don't survive and, and work and have a career in isolation, right? So, yeah. So I hope that um, I'm so excited. One of the reasons I was excited to meet you is, can you imagine all kinds of audiences where we show up? We talk about the impact. We talk about how to better, you know, support and save more physicians to 
you know, I hope enhance their career longevity for as long as they want. So they're not choosing to leave the practice prematurely when they could have been, you know, I call it bubble wrapping a physician. I want to bubble wrap the crap out of every physician. (laughs) That must be the mom in me, right? (laughs) Wow, time is going by super fast on this episode. Given the experience and the years you've had in physician coaching, what advice would you give me, a novice who's just launched my business? How do I gain more visibility, traction, scale greater impact other than what I'm trying to do already, right? Which is tell people about what I'm doing, yeah. you know, show up, also ton of grand rounds, trying to partner with societies. I mean, and then, of course, the book project. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm the person to <laughs> give you the, the best advice on the business end of things, but I'll tell you that in terms of coaching, I don't think I've ever been led down the wrong path by just following the mission. I mean, to me, the most important thing is that I make an impact in terms of, you talked about suicide. There's been so much meaning to me in being able to open physicians' eyes to why they feel the way they feel and that awareness gives authority, right? Well said. And working with people to get that mind shift to really actually feeling better and in more control. And that's always the central, that's the real gold nugget, right? I love what you're saying because, listen, Mike, the coaching, yeah, the logistics, having people pay is because I need to pay the bills and take care of my family. That is not why I'm doing this, right? Ultimately, it's about the other individual so that they live a more fulfilled, satisfying life at home, at work, because it's we're blessed and cursed at the same time, right? It shouldn't have to be this hard. It shouldn't hurt this much to do the right thing, to have sacrifice so much endure the most ridiculous massive educational debt to endure PTSD. You're at risk every day you show up and just breathe because it's so complicated, so pressured, so difficult. And yet the beauty is also showing up and being connected to the people you work with and knowing you're not alone and things done well and just amazing miracles that happen every day, but we're all desensitized because that's what we're supposed to do. I mean, so much of that. Well, I'll, I'll tell you as we're, I hate to wrap up, but I think we've, we've really um, are getting to that point. Um, I'm going to let you have the final comments or is there anything else you want every physician to know about coaching and or litigation? I would like everyone to understand that the sum of their career and their life is so much more than any one case. And it's in the seeing of that we can really make progress because we haven't we haven't been taught that these things that are like integral to practicing medicine, like adverse events, patient suffering, and because of those things, litigation, they're baked into what we do every single day. It's just that culturally we haven't been given any tools or framework to understand them. That's not your fault. But There is a way to which, you know, there is a way to move forward and gain equanimity about those things. They don't have to derail your life. You can get back on track. A thousand percent. If I am living proof, I am literally a social experiment with an N of one and my first trial and my second trial and what happened to me and what I worked to change. It's a lot of work, right? 
it's a it's a lot of work working and there's this whole like quote unquote personal development that people sort of like scoff at the term. Basically, it's just how do I get better? How do I get better? And getting better is work. It's work and willingness. Our listeners don't get the benefit of me looking at you right now. And you know what I see, right? One single word across the screen when I look at that beautiful face and smile. That's resilience right there. Resilience is is that. And listening to what you said, that is beautiful. I mean, you just reminded me why I spent weeks and months and invested in myself to launch this coaching business. It's because we spend our entire professional career and every second that, you know, we're not stealing for our own personal lives and our loved ones and whatever it is humans are supposed to do, addressing other people's suffering. And we accumulate all that suffering along the way and don't understand how to even address our own suffering and that we can suffer well, right? That's why I want to coach. That's why I want to help. What we neglect is there is beauty in being the human being that can hold other people's suffering in a way that doesn't damage themselves. Exactly. Well said. There is an art to that. Right. It does require the accumulation of some wisdom and addressing humanity and all these things that we don't allow ourselves the luxury of thinking about. It's like an indulgence to think about these things. Oh, yeah. And, and again, back to this episode on why getting coached, because you don't expect somebody with ruptured appendix to operate on themselves. So when you're suffering, I know you expect yourself, you know, just get your crap together, pull yourself up, get out of it, snap out of it. You know, that's I, I got to be honest, if I thought any of that was true, then I wouldn't have launched right the coaching business. Gita, thank you for your time and expertise and being so deeply invested in every physician who may face the greatest challenge and erosion of their well-being in their career. I hope our listeners have enjoyed this conversation. And for more information, and, and certainly if they want to reach out to you for your incredible expertise, please go to www d-o-c-t-o-r-s on doctors and litigation.com or simply just google Dr. Gita G-I-T-A Pensa P-E-N-S-A you're going to love her website the imagery is fabulous I love it it looks terrific okay thanks again for being here to our listeners thank you so much you can find us on SoundCloud Spotify iTunes Apple and Ghana Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Backtable ENT. We love feedback. We hope you'll reach out to us for topics, ideas, and speakers, or if you ever want to come on the show. Thank you again and have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you, Julie. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at underscore Backtable ENT on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Backtable ENT is hosted by Gopi Shaw and Ashley Agan. Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon with support from Josh McWhorter, Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz with support from Taylor's version Hess and Yvonne Orvijinsky. Social media and PR by Chi Ding. 
Administrative support provided by Jamila Kinnebrew. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.